Good evening. Thank you for joining us on tonight, um, this Good Friday. Um, and for those who are part of the Brooke family, um, it's days like this where uh, we really begin to appreciate your presence here in service with us, especially in this preaching moment. Um, I want to thank Pastor Eric for the opportunity to be able to open God's Word and to preach from it. Um, it's one that I continue to take seriously, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to proclaim the Word of God. Uh, so tonight, uh, our, our text will come from Matthew chapter 26, particularly focusing on verse 54 and the first half of verse 56. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and it reads like this. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Tonight, I want to speak from this thought, it must happen this way. The hour had come, and they were making their way down from Gethsemane, Jesus and three of his disciples, they were ready to meet those who were waiting for him. The religious, the religious leaders were there. Judas and the other disciples were there as well. But also present was anger, betrayal, and abandonment. It was this hour where Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own and left to defend himself as the 11 others would desert him to be taken into trial. It was the dead of night, yet fear was active, alive and apparent. At a time when most people would be asleep, angst and anxiety would be awake. While you would find most people inside of their homes, concern for the uncertain was out and about. These few phrases could definitely point to the feelings that raise the tension in this moment of night that Jesus was betrayed, but it's not any different from then to what we feel today in our present time. COVID-19 in this year of 2020 has a similar grip on us with fear, angst, anxiety, and concern over the uncertainty of the future. However, this text does not permit us to give in to fear but rather in the midst of all the fear and the uncertainty that unravels before us, Matthew does not leave us to be in a space of fear without a response of hope. That in the bleakest of circumstance, hope breaks through and shines like a beacon of light into life's tempestuous realities. That in the adversities of everyday struggle, strength can be found to keep us along the way. See, this text teaches us that God's will is still at work even during uncertain times. That you may be uncertain about what today has for you and what might come of tomorrow, but he is certain that all things work together according to his good and perfect will. That your whole world might feel like it's falling apart, but he's got the whole world in his hands. We can take heart in the very words of Jesus because he truly has overcome the world. But if you're like me, you know that there are moments in life where we really can't see the bright hope that tomorrow has to offer. And in such moments, we raise a particular question, why must it happen this way? We often find ourselves asking such a question in times of disparity, the times when we have placed ourselves in those situations, but there are also times when those situations are placed before us and in our lives. Sometimes these moments are placed within the realm of our own control, but at other times it's beyond us, leaving us to identify with the feeling of being scared, vulnerable, and worried. There are things that take place to which we can appropriately ask, why must it happen this way? And there are times where we can rightly say that it must happen this way. But it doesn't always have to happen this way. You see, it doesn't have to happen this way. That while the African-American community makes up only 30% of the population in Chicago, 70% of the deaths accounted for by the coronavirus are from the African-American community. It doesn't have to happen this way. 
It doesn't have to happen this way that children and parents who are immigrants and refugees are still being detained, deported, and separated from their families back to their countries, even given the risk of spreading the virus even more. All the while, 27,000 of the health workers are made up of immigrants. It doesn't have to happen this way. It doesn't have to happen this way that the Asian and Pacific Islander community in America, while going out to shop for essentials, has to deal with the daily fear of perhaps contracting the virus, but also at the same time suffer the fear of being racially profiled and being accused for bringing the virus into America, no matter how many generations have remained in this country and even served it. It doesn't have to happen this way. It doesn't have to happen this way where families, some families have the luxury of social distancing themselves and working from home where other families cannot afford to miss work and have to worry about the struggles of keeping their jobs because they have to gather the financial resources to pay the rent, pay the bills, pay mortgage, look out for the health and well-being of their children and pay to feed empty stomachs. It doesn't have to happen this way. And it doesn't have to happen this way where the elderly and the vulnerable in our communities don't have access to essential resources and proper health service because of the lack of stewardship given of resources given to us and the negligence of God's command to attend to the vulnerable in our community. It doesn't have to happen this way. It doesn't have to happen this way. But here in the text, it happened this way. It must happen this way. And it happened this way because there was a greater will, a greater task that needed to be filled. Then Jesus knew that, and Jesus had that in mind. And Jesus tells us in verse 56, But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. There are reasons as to why this Friday is called Good Friday. And one of those reasons is because Jesus did not abandon his mission. Jesus did not leave behind his task. Jesus remained until it was accomplished. Jesus was in the garden in Gethsemane. And Jesus too was face to face with the dilemma and anguish of the crisis that stood before him. But instead of trying to alter it, Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. He knew that it must happen this way. Jesus knew that he would be betrayed. He would be abandoned. He would be stripped. He would be whipped. He would be flogged and publicly humiliated. He knew it must happen this way. Jesus knew that he would be crowned with thorns, hung on a cross on a hill called Golgotha, where they would put nails in his hands and nails in his feet, and a spear would be put into his side, and he would hang there to die. He knew that it had to happen this way so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And in knowing this, there is an application here that arises out of this text. It's imperatival in this text that there's an urgent exhortation for us to anchor our souls, to tether ourselves, and to cling to the cross of Calvary, to remain steadfast. But oftentimes it's in our nature to do the exact opposite doing exactly what is revealed to us in the text. We either come to the attack and accuse Jesus like the religious leaders did. We try to make our own way out of the situation like Peter did. Or we run away and abandon Jesus like the disciples did on that night. But we have an example of one who was able to remain confident and steadfast even at the brink of crisis. Yet in many ways, while it's hard for us to understand why all this takes place in our lives, It must happen this way. And it happened this way because the will of God was to be fulfilled. You see, this reminds me, a couple years ago, I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip with my former church in Belize. And on one of those days, we were at one of the churches in one of the villages and cleaning around on the streets. Uh, we We were cutting grass, picking up the trash. And all of a sudden, to our passing were two Mormon missionaries. And as they passed... They so happened to cross paths with one of our deacons, Deacon Song, Song Jipsanim in Korean as it would be. And after some time had passed, you know, we look up into the street and they're still having this intense conversation. They're still in conversation. And so naturally curiosity begins to peak out of the youth, out of everybody who's there. And so what I, would, what I said to them was, hey, you know, I know you guys are curious about what's going on. We don't want to dr- attract attention, but let's continue to do the work that's before us. But pray for him in your heart. 
Later that evening, we would recap the day and we would, um, we, would, we would think about the plans for the next day. And then the question came up, Deacon Song, what was that conversation all about? He told us that there was an intense discussion around belief. And I'll never forget the moment when he said this. He said, I told them this. If Jesus isn't the final prophet, priest, and king, then he's not the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And I think that God had it happen this way because if it did not happen this way, we wouldn't have a Savior who we can call on to be our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in time of trouble. We wouldn't have a Savior who is able to sympathize in our weakness in every way. And we wouldn't have a bomb in Gilead. We wouldn't have someone that we can call the Good Shepherd. We wouldn't have someone who can be with us in the middle of the storm. And we wouldn't have someone who would be the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. If it didn't happen this way, none of the scriptures would have been fulfilled on that night 2,000 years ago. But because it happened this way, all the scriptures of the prophets were fulfilled. He is the offspring of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent. He is the long-awaited king from the lineage of David whose kingdom reigns forevermore. He is a child that is born and given unto us, whose name is Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting father the prince of peace he is the shoot from the stump of jesse he is god's chosen servant and god's salvation he is the suffering servant who bore our grief carried our sorrows was struck smitten and afflicted who was pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace therefore therefore we know that this is how the story ends. It says that three days later, he would get up and rise again. And on this Good Friday, it may be a solemn night, but we look with hope because he remained steadfast and completed the work that was set before him. Many prophets sent by God came and went, but they all fell short of the task. But he, who though he was in the form of a servant, in, in, in likeness of God, did not did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and gave to him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I'll close with this final verse in, these, in this hymn. And it says, I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in, glory to his name. So come to the fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. And I'm so happy and I'm so glad it happened to this way. Glory to his name. Amen. Family, we just had a powerful message, and I just want to tell you, the night is just starting. <laughs> um, it is my privilege to be here as we continue to remember what Jesus had to endure to give us the salvation that we have right now. I would just want to spend a couple more minutes meditating on this, uh, Matthew 26, and the end and the trial of Jesus. So you see, after Jesus was arrested, the Jewish council was ready to condemn him. The trial was made in a way that was more like a facade than an actual display of justice. But while our savior was being treated as a terrorist, uh, there was a bystander in the story that all four gospels talk about. And I want us to center our gaze for the next couple of minutes in this bystander, the apostle Peter. Peter was the first disciple that Jesus called was the first person that we know from the scriptures that recognized Jesus as the Messiah that the Jews were expecting. But in this story, Jesus denies his master. Not once, not twice, but three times. But let's go back for a moment and think how this would be for Peter. What this moment meant for him. 
And I just want you to remember that this was not a triumph moment like when they first walked into Jerusalem with Jesus and the crowds were cheering and saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, when the Passover was starting. It was not like that. Peter's master was arrested. All the disciples were dispersed. And what Peter thought was the hope that Christ was bringing was no longer there. I want us to think about this. Because while Peter was there sneaking into the courtyard of uh, Caiaphas' home where the trial was happening and he could probably hear the beatings that Jesus was receiving inside, all the things that he thought he knew about God were being shaken. For Peter, like a good Jew, you know, he was expecting Jesus to at some point bring a really big war, conquer all the enemies, and at the end defeat everybody. Just like that, no doubt. But, and we can see that Peter was so ready to do this that when, when Jesus was going to be arrested, what he did was he pulled out a sword, he cut someone's ear, and Jesus had to kind of calm him down for a second. But now he's finding himself in this situation when his life is actually in danger, where his master is going to be crucified, when nothing makes sense. And we can think, because God's plans in his life, or what he thought was God's plan, was not panning out, Peter was probably really shaken. And in all of this, in this commotion, the least expected source brings up this comment. You were also with Jesus. (laughs) Comes from the slave girl. Peter's reaction was immediate dismissal. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) In other words, he played the fool, like most of us will do, right? When our faith is being tested, our first reaction normally is, I don't want to have the Jesus talk. <laughs> not right now. Not in COVID-19, please. Not when, not when my job is shaking. Not when these things are happening. I don't want to talk about God when these are the situations that I'm being surrounded by. Then Peter moves along in our story. He goes to a different section of the courtyard where people is warming up in the fire, trying to probably mix in, avoid danger, but still have an ear on what's going on. Um, and then again, another slave girl while bystanders are around, says, hey, I think you were the guy that was with Jesus. And what it started with a, with a simple dismissal, I don't know, now turns into a real full-blown denial. And Peter even curses on his own name and swears that may God strike him death if he's lying, that he doesn't know Jesus. We know he's lying, so we know what he should receive, Right? Well, we often give Peter a bad rap for what he did then, huh? But how many times we also do the same thing? I can think of many times when my own seal for God was quickly turned in some type of shaky dismissal or even sometimes big denial just out of fear of being isolated, out of uh, the dismissal, I don't want to be in an awkward situation. We do that too, family. And despite of how long we have walked with Jesus, we all, like Peter, need to be washed away clean every time by the cross. So when this girl called him out, he let this oath to protect himself from what he could save him or maybe perhaps clean his reputation in front of others. But in reality... He was begging the expiation that the cross was going to provide for him and for all of us. I want you to see this, family. Peter spent all his three years of ministry with Jesus. He saw the healings. He saw the miracles. He sat in every single teaching. Even in the Last Supper, before Jesus was arrested, Peter was the first one in saying, I'm never going to deny you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And even if everybody else, even if I'm going to be killed, I'm going to follow you. But here we see that Peter was unable in his own strength to deliver in the promise that he was making to the Lord, just like all of us. Peter had the conviction, but he didn't have the power to back up his promise. Peter, like we all do, needed the freedom from the wages of sin in order to execute what God has called him to do. We see this need vividly in this story when at the hearing of the rooster, Peter whips 
he realizes at that moment, at the beginning in the morning of that Friday that now we call good, that he failed his master too. Not only he failed Jesus in denying him, but he also realizes that there's nothing he can do about it. For Peter in this moment, the scene was some unbelief, season with maybe self-preservation and some pride for you might be something else. But I think we all need to remember that we need to come back to Jesus. Because we cannot free ourselves from sin on our own. No matter how good, no matter how much we follow Christ, we can't do this thing without him. So I urge you today, if you're watching this, have you ever felt this need from salvation? I know I have. And I know for Peter in this moment, he went from salvation is a good thing to salvation is a personal, it's an urgent need. I need it right now. And how good that Jesus was about to fulfill that need. But I'm sure that you might also have some things where you need salvation right now. So if you haven't ever put your trust in Jesus, I pray that tonight will be the rooster crawling in your night so that you can also see how much you need the Lord. But the story doesn't end there for Peter. You see, Jesus predicted Peter's denial in the Last Supper. Our Savior knew that not even one of his disciples will be able to stand faithful to the gospel without him going to the cross, without him making this way before them. Luke even tells us that Jesus prayed for Peter so that he will be able to stand the temptations that will come his way, not just with the denial, but after all of that. So if there's any hope for us, if there's any hope for some of us that might be feel trapped now with sin, maybe new things that are coming up with the trials that we're facing that are very different, with their sanctity that we're facing that is really different than things we have faced in the past, let me remind you, Jesus prayed for you too. Come to him, because his grace is available for all of us. And today, as we mourn the death of our Savior and all he had to endure for us, as all lament in the Bible, let me remind you that Jesus' death also led to a wonderful praise. This is why we call this Friday good. <laughs> once Peter repented of his failure and once his sins were washed away clean with the cross, Jesus embraced Peter back. And he restored Peter's calling, we're told in the book of John. The Gospel of John tells us that Peter not only assured Christ of his love, but also at the end, Jesus assures Peter of his calling. Follow me and feed my sheep. And if we have any doubt that, that this uh, man was transformed by the power of the cross, let me remind you that this is the same Peter that stayed faithful till the end, the same Peter that raised up and preached in Pentecost, the same Peter that died on a cross like his Savior, but upwards. <laughs> Peter needed Jesus' sacrifice to overcome his own sin, and Peter's denials urge us to remember that we do too. So at this time, I ask that we all will put our gaze on that cross because we need it. Amen. Respond together and singing uh, this next song. Light of the world, you step down into dark. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that
lovely, he's worthy, he's wonderful. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for streaming. Tonight, the passage on which I will focus is Matthew 27, verses 15 through 23. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? So goes the chilling question enshrined in an old song about Good Friday. And tonight I want to consider this question for a few moments together. Because the truth is, I was there. I was there in the sense that my sin, the ways I've gone against God, made the cross necessary that night. And I was there in the sense that I can relate all too well to the people who played a part that day. You see, I can relate to Pilate. After Peter denied Jesus three times, the next thing that happened is the Jewish authorities led Jesus bound in chains to Pilate. And they asked Pilate to execute him for treason. Pilate was the Roman governor. And he examined Jesus. And the more he examined Jesus, the more he became convinced that Jesus was innocent. In fact, it says in verse 14 that Pilate was greatly amazed by Jesus. He wanted to set him free. In fact, he wasn't the only one. During the trial, Pilate's wife interrupted the trial to send Pilate a note that said, I just had a terrible dream about this man. He's righteous. In essence, let him go free. Pilate wanted to, 
But at the end of the day, it was Pilate who uttered the words, to the cross you go, the death sentence for Jesus. Why, Pilate? Why? Because as we see in verse 24, a riot was beginning to form. And a riot spelled major trouble for Pilate's career. The life that he had built, the esteem, the comfort. And so Pilate did what he felt he had to do. And yet I can relate. Because like Pilate, how often have I put the material world along with all of its comforts above Jesus? How often have I placed myself and my tiny illusion of a kingdom above Jesus and his everlasting kingdom? Like Pilate, I have treated Jesus as less than. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I was. You see, the crowd was demanding his death. They were saying over and over, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate was making appeals, but the, the crowd was shouting, it says in verse 23. Shouting. Where have I heard that word before? It is the exact same word used just a few days earlier. When Jesus entered Jerusalem and a crowd greeted him, welcomed him, received him by shouting his praises. And likely it's the same crowd, part of the same crowd now, shouting for his destruction. And yet I hear my voice with them. You know, growing up I... I always went to church. But before I surrendered my life to Jesus, I can tell you, I knew how to sound religious on Sunday. And yet by Friday, be a different person. Sunday to Friday, just like the crowd. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I was. There was another person who played a part that day. His name was Barabbas. Verse 16 tells us he was a notorious prisoner. In other words, he was infamous. He was known in the households for what he had done. Other parts of scripture tell us that he was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. He was a thief. He was a violent man. And he was in prison awaiting his death. In fact, probably he went to sleep Thursday night wondering if Friday would be his day, his day that he faced death. Can you imagine? And then Friday morning, his prison cell is opened up. He's dragged out into the light and he's placed next to a man named Jesus. And then he hears that between the two of them, only one will serve the sentence. And yet he looks at Jesus, and certainly this man is not as much of a threat as what Barabbas knows about himself. And yet, lo and behold, before he even realizes it, he's swept away and Barabbas is released. Can you imagine? Can you see him? He's hugging people. He's kissing babies. He's hooping and hollering with joy. He's as light as a feather. He thought he was going to die. The weight of his crimes is off of his shoulders. He's walking the streets like a free man. Why? Because Jesus served the sentence that was hanging over his head. Because Jesus was treated as a criminal. And in the eyes of the law, Barabbas was treated as if he committed no crime. He was walking the streets as a free man. The interesting thing is the opposite was true. Jesus was righteous, the perfect son of God, and Barabbas was guilty 
of the things he had done. It was a radical exchange. The righteous one took the place of the guilty one. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I can relate to Pilate and I can relate to the crowd, but praise God, I can relate to a man named Barabbas because I too am the guilty one set free by the righteous one who took my place at the cross that day. You see, Jesus served the sentence for my crimes, not against Rome, but against God. And now I'm treated as if I never committed them. I can relate to Barabbas for whom Good Friday was probably the very best day of his life because it was the day that he was set free. May the same be true for you and I who by faith in Jesus Christ are set free, free, free forever. Amen. We sing this final song together. We think about the price that has been paid for us on the cross. But especially the love that is demonstrated to us. How deep the Father's love for us. Blessed beyond all measure. That he should give his own his treasure how great the pain of searing love the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon the cross My sin upon his shoulder Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him again it was my sin it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have been my ransom. Thursday night, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples. After that last supper, he went out on a walk into a garden, a Mount of Olives, and there was a garden called Gethsemane there. And there he prayed and prayed and prayed while his disciples slept and slept and slept. And as he prayed, finally he heard the footsteps of a small crowd with torches there with Judas to betray him. And that was to be what the scripture said would be. 
it, as we heard, had to be that way. His closest disciple, Peter, followed him, though at a distance, hanging on to every thread of hope he could. And there, early Friday morning, while it was still dark, by a campfire, as we heard, denied his friend, his Jesus, three times, followed by the crow of a rooster. Jesus would be led away to an illegal trial before the courts were opened, and then finally brought before Pilate, and then that eerie release of a convicted killer, an insurrectionist Barabbas, the guilty released for the innocent. And we come to Matthew chapter 27. Pilate is there, convinced of Jesus' innocence, but also convinced of securing his own power. He takes water in Matthew 27, verse 24, and it says, he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Pilate tries to wash away his guilt with water. His hands may have been clean physically, but his heart was guilty spiritually. Pilate, as we all heard, is indeed not all that different from us. Trying to do away with our sin, our guilt, by any means possible. And we can wash and wash and scrub and soak. But we can't cleanse ourselves from our own sin. He allowed them to do with Jesus as they desired. And in verse 26, we are told that Jesus was scourged. The word scourged relays the idea of this whipping that would take place under Roman execution and under Jewish law. It was a whipping that was allowed 40 lashes. It was later reduced to 39 because 41 would be seen as too gruesome. So lest they miscount, they gave 39. The scourging was expected to open up a person's skin. Many who were convicted and went by it did not even survive the scourging. But Jesus did. We're told in verses 27 and following, he was brought to the governor. And there in the headquarters, the soldiers mocked him. We see there in verse 28. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting it together, a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. See, earlier in Matthew's gospel in chapter 2, Jesus was announced the king of the Jews by the Magi. You see, when he was born, the Magi entered Jerusalem saying, where is he who is king of the Jews? And at his birth and here now, at his death, he is called the king of the Jews. One was a proclamation and one was a mockery, but the truth remains, that's who he was. He was stripped and beaten so badly, decimated by the flogging, he was now given the responsibility of carrying his own cross to add insult to injury. His body was weary and unable to do so, and we're told there in verse 32 that a man named Simon, from a place in Cyrene in Africa, carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha, the place shaped or looking like a skull. There... They would drive the nails into his hands, his outstretched arms. They would drive a nail to his feet, and they would then lift up the cross with a sign above it saying what? In verse 36, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The people then began to mock him in verse 40 saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Notice that, save yourself. That was their expectation of Jesus if he was who he said he was. We see then again in verse 42, he saved others, he cannot save himself. 
The crowds held Jesus to expectations they have placed on him. And when he did not fulfill their expectations, they mocked him. They mocked him based on their own expectations, but not based on what he said he came to do. So often we look at Jesus based on what we think he ought to be. And when he does not do what he never said he was going to do, but we wanted him to do, we mock him. The crowd did just that very same thing. He cannot save, or he saved others. He cannot save himself. You see, the grand irony in this statement is precisely this. He saved others by not saving himself. You see, they expected him to save himself, but that's not why Jesus went to the cross. See, the cross was not about whether or not Jesus could get himself out of a death sentence. The cross was about whether or not Jesus could get us out of ours. And he did not save himself in order to save others. See, they had a problem. And their problem was their expectations of what Jesus would do for them. In fact, their problem is only accentuated when they say this. They said in verse 43, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires. For he said, I am the Son of God. You see, they doubted Jesus because he was not being delivered. In fact, we see even a verse earlier. They say, he is the king of Israel in verse 42. Let him come down, notice this, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Basically, they say, if Jesus saves himself and steps down from this cross and then he would therefore prove himself to be the son of God, then we will worship him as king of the Jews. This was their problem. But again, what irony. They would believe if he came down from a cross. What if he would raise from the dead? See, their problem was not an information problem. Because we knew what happens on Sunday. Their problem was a heart problem. They were stuck in their sins. They have the same problem you and I have. Because like Peter, as we heard, we are the ones who deny God. Like Barabbas, as we heard, we are the ones deserving punishment. Like Pilate, as we heard, we are the ones trying to wash away our own guilt. Like the mockers, as we've heard, we've placed expectations on Jesus. But for us, the problem is not an information problem, but it's a heart problem. Jesus would breathe his final breath there in verse 50. He yielded up his spirit. And there even in verse 54, a soldier who was present is in awe by the manner with which he died, by the things that were happening around the tearing of the temple, the raising of the dead in Jerusalem. And he says, surely this must have been the Son of God. When evening came, Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus down from the cross and laid him in his own tomb. Verse 60. And he rolled a great stone around it. Despite the horror, this Friday is still good. This Friday is good because God keeps his promises that his scriptures might be fulfilled. This Friday is good because God is merciful even with those who deny him. This Friday is still good because even now the guilty find a way to be made innocent. This Friday is still good because though we can't wash our own sin away, Jesus would wash away our own sin. This Friday is still good because though they mocked him to be the king, he actually was the king. This Friday is still good because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is a good Friday. That's why we call it good, church. 
This is the day where, yes, we grieve because it had to be this way. We grieve because it was my sin that held him there. But we call it good because it's this Friday that made our forgiveness possible. But it's still just Friday. We know that Sunday is coming, church. We know what happens a couple days from now. But the disciples didn't know that. The crowds didn't know that. And so for a moment, let us just soak in that. Sunday is coming, though. And on Sunday... We want to invite you to come back here onto this YouTube channel and see what happens early Sunday morning. Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., we want you to live stream with us. We want you to get a taste of what takes place after this large stone was rolled away. Because if Jesus remains in the grave, this Friday is not good. But because Friday is coming, because Sunday is coming, this is a good Friday. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to join us on Sunday. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you had a plan. And that plan involved saving wretches like us. God, this, isn't, this is more than just a self-defacing thought. God, we're just talking reality right now. Our sin, our rebellion, our lying, our jealousy, our, 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 our anger, our hate, our lust. We could go down the list. It is upon us, our pride, all of it. And yet through Jesus, you've made a way for redemption. We look forward to Sunday morning where this room will be lit up with joy, where our homes, our living rooms, our bedrooms, our kitchens will resound in praise and adulation and adoration of a fact that there is a God who is alive. So tonight, we just wait here upon you. Jesus, thank you that you are still in the business of changing lives. And see, we look to Sunday Pray this in Jesus' name.